So you know the feeling of sitting behind your desk, uh, whether it's at work or at school, and the clock on the wall is ticking away. But it, but it's, it seems to be ticking slower than any other clock in the world. And you think to yourself, how is this possible? How can time be passing this slowly? You know, or the, the work day that you're, you're in just has, you know, trouble after trouble. There's, there's things that you have to work out. And, and it's just one of those days where nothing seems to be going right. And you think to yourself, this is so frustrating. Why does it have to be this way? Why do, why do I have to be the problem solver of the hour? And in moments like these, uh, we, we can often think to ourselves, man, playing hooky from work w- or school would be so great right now. Right? Just playing hooky, you know, walking out of the office and, you know, it's okay. I don't have to worry about that. I'm just going to go home and kick my feet up on the couch and relax. And we have a word for this. It's called retirement. Or so some people say, and I, I forgot my slide clicker. I'm going to grab it now. There's a movie uh, that was released a few years ago called The Intern. And in this movie, uh, one of, the, uh, one of the, the characters, he's a 70-year-old man. He's recently re- retired, and he speaks into retirement in a really profound way. And he says this. He says, at first, I kind of enjoyed the novelty of it. It felt like I was playing hooky. I used all the air miles I'd been saved and and, and traveled the globe. The problem was, no matter where I went, the nowhere-to-be thing hit me like a ton of bricks. I know there's a hole in my life, and I need to fill it soon. And what this retired character in this movie uncovers for us so profoundly is something that, that many of us who are either in this stage of life or looking forward to this stage of life often are wrestling with, often even on a daily basis. And David does so in this psalm. As we grow older, things begin to change, and we begin to lose control of certain things that we used to think we could control. Uh, You know, our bodies begin to break down. Our minds begin to break down. The things that we used to be capable of doing and doing well we're not so capable of doing anymore. Less able to control, we have less responsibilities. Our, even our roles within our families begins to shift as, as some of us take on being grandparents or great-grandparents or seeing your kids move out and into university and, and taking a role of being a, a parent from a distance and the challenges that come with that. These things can be disillusioning to us. The realities of aging are not easy to experience. Psalm 71 shares that with us so profoundly. Many people attribute this psalm to King David, though it's not 100% uh, of a a known fact that this is King David, but we're going to roll with that for this sermon. So this is David talking in his old age when when he is experiencing some some of the vulnerability and the fear that comes with his role changing. Now, if you're sitting here this morning... You're think, maybe you're thinking to yourself, I'm in my mid-teens, I'm in my early 20s, late 20s, early 30s. By the time you get to your mid-30s, you pretty much know you're old, so 
And you might be thinking to yourself, this is not a sermon for me. But you couldn't be more wrong. The theologian uh, Dwight Moody says this. He says, preparation for old age should begin no later than one's teens. Because a life which is empty of purpose until 65 will not all of a sudden be suddenly filled on retirement. Because retirement or, or getting older is uh, something that actually uncovers for us. It, it, it lets us see what's underneath the hood in our lives. Have you ever heard of the invincibility syndrome? Uh, doctors in Canada are, are speaking about this, this idea that, that some young people are identifying with, and that is that because of uh, technology advancements in healthcare uh, and uh, the, the safety in our society, uh, people, uh, younger people often walk around with this feeling that nothing bad will happen to them. We're reminded of this in the Disney movie Frozen, actually. And I won't sing the lyrics of, of Elsa's song for you, but uh, they're, they're profoundly um, earth-shattering when we think about what this movie is communicating to us. Because uh, Elsa, when she, when she makes her, her um, you know, uh, manifesto of independence, she says this. She says, uh, it's... It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Isn't that interesting? You know, we're often told, you know, if you believe in yourself enough, if you work hard enough, that good things will happen. But that's not always the case. What happens when something knocks your life out of balance? I'll never forget the day that one of my friends was diagnosed with leukemia. And we thought that nothing would happen to us as young people. We couldn't have been further from the truth. Or a degree that promises you financial freedom and you're years in and you haven't been able to land a job. There's things in our lives that knock it out of balance, just in the same way that growing old and the loss of, of um, some of the things that we, we could uh, control earlier on in our lives, things that we tapped into for identity and meaning and purpose that, that all of a sudden begin to disappear, and we are left with crying out to God like David is. And so uh, this, this psalm is basically a prayer for people who are losing control. And experiencing an increased amount of vulnerability in their lives. What do we do? What do we do with this? And so we can learn from David. What does he do? Well, he prays. And throughout the summer, as we've been looking at these psalms week after week, one of the things that is the same for every single psalm that we experience is the, the brutal honesty in which the psalmists bring into their prayers. This is so important for us to remember that, that God wants us to pour our whole hearts out to him. To speak what, 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 how exactly we are feeling towards him, towards what, what, he, what we're experiencing in our lives, what we're, what we're seeing in the people around us. That's how David prays in this psalm. In verse 3, he talks about building a refuge. He says, 
Be my rock of refuge to which I can always go. Give the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Or verse 5 says, you know, for you have been my hope, sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. From birth I have relied on you. The image of God as a refuge that we run to is a common image in the Psalms and in the rest of the Bible. When I was preparing the sermon, the words of the Sunday school song that were flowing through my head of, you know, God is my refuge and my strength. The righteous run into him and they will be saved. It's... it's it's this idea that, that God is, is, a, is, a, is, a, is protecting us. He, he is someone who, can, who, who sets up walls to make sure that we, that we are safe and cared for. Oftentimes, uh, when, when our, our, our strength is gone, when our vulnerability really shows, uh, sh- sh- comes up in us, we are shown what we really go to for our refuge. And Tim Keller reminds us uh, so profoundly that anything that, that uh, replaces God as the center of our lives, whatever we, we go to for value, for meaning, for satisfaction, whatever we go to for our refuge that is not God is an idol. An idol can be a good thing. An idol can be a, a great thing, like a career or like family or like education. But if it becomes an ultimate thing, if it becomes the thing that when everything else in your life disappears, you need, then it becomes a problem. Because an idol is not going to die for you. Many of us know um, Steve Jobs, the CEO of Apple. Uh, He died of, of pancreatic cancer. What most of us don't know is that it was actually very curable. It was incredibly treatable. The doctors caught it early. They were very encouraged by the prognosis. And they uh, suggested to him, they counseled him to have surgery and chemotherapy and radiation. And he didn't want to. Because he believed in a very specific diet. And when the chemo and the radiation would hinder him from being able to to follow that diet plan strictly, he took a pass. And instead, he tried to treat the cancer with a natural diet. He he ate a lot more of certain vegetables and fruits, and it didn't work. When vulnerability shows itself, the idols, the things that we cling to, to control our lives emerge. For David, the vulnerability meant being overtaken by his enemies, the fear of being forsaken by God. But he runs to God. He goes to him to be his refuge and asks for him to deliver him. Have you ever heard the story of uh, Paul and Silas in prison? And they're uh, singing hymns to God in the middle of the night. And a giant earthquake comes, right? And blows open the doors of the prison. But they don't run. They stay there. Nobody stays in a Roman prison. Except for these men. Why do they stay? Well, because they, they, 
their refuge in God, even being in that jail, was, was stronger for them than the idea of the open doors that their eyes could see. And they were able to be a living example to, to the, the jailer and his family. It takes time to learn and to practice what it means to take refuge in God. It takes time to pray these things into our hearts as we experience some of the vulnerabilities. These things come up again, and it takes, it takes time to pray to God to be our refuge, to remind us of who he is in our lives. One reason why this psalm is included in the Psalter is because these, these prayers were repeated over and over and over again. Lord, forsake me not when I am old, when my strength is gone. Lord, be my refuge. Lord, help me not to trust in other things in place of you. The other thing that David does is he accepts the evaluation of God for his life. In verse 7, David talks about being a, a portent. How many of you know what a portent is? Three or four, five. Not very many. Uh, what a portent is, from what I read about it, because I had no idea what it was before this week, is it's a sign. It's a sign. It's being like a billboard to the world. But it's a negative sign. So this is, in the Hebrew, this is a negative thing. So when David says, I've been a, a portent to, to my enemies, it means that, that he has been uh, someone who uh, they've looked to and said, ha, look at what happened to him. Look at all the bad stuff that's happened to him. God can't be who he says he is. It's like, you know, the, the, the artist, uh, the, the singer who makes a, a mistake on such a, a big stage you know, and, and the, the fear and the vulnerability that comes with stepping onto that stage again afterwards, knowing, oh, people remember me for this, right? The, this is the, the, the fear and the vulnerability that, that, that we feel in our lives is that what we, we fear that people will remember us by certain things. You know, our greatest fears often are what we will be remembered for. What is our legacy going to be? especially when we grow older. What if our kids aren't going to church? What will people think of us? What if my career falls flat? What will people think of me? What if I can't get the grades to get into that school that my, my family wants me to get into? What will they think of me? You know, what if people figure out that I'm struggling with mental health? What, what, what will my church think of me? All of these things start coming out when we, when we experience vulnerability in our lives. In this psalm, David, for the same reason, talks about his fear of shame. You know, Lord, let me not be put to shame. As the author David Foster Wallace uh, says so famously in, in a speech that he gave in an American university, he says that if we, if we look to our physical appearance or our beauty, if that's what we tap real meaning in life for, then when time and age start showing themselves, then we'll die a million deaths before they finally bury us. And what, what Foster Wallace is saying with this is that it, it, then if, if, if we look to our beauty as our evaluator, then, then our mirror 
will always be our enemy. We can't look to the things in this world to, to evaluate us. We have to look to God. Otherwise, they will eat us alive. An article I was reading this week said something equally profound. Our culture is so intent on making us into the perfect image of exactly what they want us to be. It's important, though, that we recognize our image is already perfectly created by a loving and gracious God. His plan is not for us to linger in the past, dwelling on what could have been, but to look forward to the future. You are God's chosen and beloved children. Do you know that? Do you know that that, when everything is said and done, is what really matters? David recognizes this. In verse 20 and 21, he says, Though you've made me see troubles, many and bitter, you will restore me to life again. You will increase my honor and comfort once more. How does David know this? He trusts in the promises that God has for his beloved children. Promises that come true for us in Jesus. Because when, when Jesus Christ came and was born as a human being, he took on age. The ageless one took on age. He became a person who would grow old and, and show time and age. He would have matured and gone through puberty just like any one of us. He would have had sore feet from a long day of walking. Maybe even had headaches from the change in the humidity in the air. He got aches and pains that we experienced even as early as our early 30s, too. He also would have known about the vulnerability that comes from losing control in his life. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus Christ, he prayed, you know, not my will, but yours be done. In other words, he was taking his hands off of the steering wheel of his life and letting his father lead him, even though he knew exactly, exactly where it would take him. He submitted to the Father's will and became us on the cross. He lost what little respect he had from peers. He was hung naked on the cross to be killed in our place. He died to overcome age and the vulnerabilities that come with it. Because he didn't just die, he rose again. The Heidelberg Catechism talks about uh, the, what the resurrection of Christ means for us. It says this, It benefits us in three ways. First, by his resurrection, he has overcome death, so that he might make us share in the righteousness that he has obtained for us by his death. 
Second, by his power, we are, too are raised to new life. And third, Christ's resurrection is a sure pledge of our blessed resurrection. Christ's resurrection means that we can take refuge in God and trust and know that, that his evaluation of our lives is the only thing that matters and will result in our eternal life with him forever. Because we come before God based on his righteousness and not our own. We come to him as his chosen children. This, the words of the song of response that we're about to, to sing, you know, O oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come our shelter from the stormy blast, and our eternal home. You know, this doesn't make retirement easy or growing old simple. This doesn't make it any uh, easier to see uh, some of our children make difficult choices or friends and colleagues, you know, challenging us. I know there are many of us, even in this room here, who... Uh, have a attended church for many years with a certain emptiness and a certain longing because of a child or because of uh, something in your life that has left you feeling with a sense of emptiness, that God, that God has abandoned you. In this psalm, it shows us that if anything, these, these emotions, these things are supposed to be here. And they're supposed to be carried in prayer. They're not to be hidden or squashed. And so uh, what we're going to do this morning is hear of a story from somebody in our church who is wrestling with some of the struggles of taking on retirement, of uh, the challenges uh, of, of seeing some of the things that... that uh, that used to be a source of uh, meaning and, and purpose to be, t to be taken away, and how they're seeing God in the midst of that. So I want to invite Jules to Jagger just to come and share a few words with us. I'm Jules DeJager. I retired two years ago and uh, went from a crazy, busy, swirling kind of workplace to my backyard. And I have to say, I did enjoy that for a while. I wish to thank Pastor Hayden for the opportunity to share some personal thoughts about becoming a senior, about retirement from an intense career, and about responding to Psalm 71 all at the same time and with a 200-word limit. Thanks. I have two ideas I wish to share with you. Let me begin with an expression I picked up uh, about 35 years ago in Peterborough as I was working with evangelical Christians in promoting our local Christian school. An elderly man from the Pentecostal church in town said to me, <clears throat> there are no grandchildren in heaven. I quickly agreed, more because I wanted this man's help in convincing his adult children to enroll the grandkids in my school. I wasn't thinking of my own children. 
At that time, our three children were quite young. They were our covenant children, baptized into the CRC and just beginning their faith journey in our home. But that saying has stuck with me because there's a profound truth in it. I firmly believe that I am a child of God, saved by God's grace through Christ's sacrifice on the cross. However, I now know that after 40 years of parenting, I cannot take my own children through the pearly gates on the basis of my faith or my wife's faith. My adult children are responsible for their own relationship with Jesus Christ. And this letting go of our children to find their own way before the face of God has not always been easy, sometimes stressful, and sometimes tearful. We have learned that we cannot tell them how to live. We learned that we must pray that God will draw them further into his peace through the work of others often in the Christian community. And we continue to see his work in their lives today. And what about the 10 grandchildren Joanne and I are now blessed with? Can we take them into heaven under our wings? We would want to, but no. We need to nurture them, pray for them, and trust that the Lord will use his people to make Christianity real for each of them as they move beyond us. So here's the second thought. Uh, Listen again to Psalm 71, verse 18. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. It is my hope and prayer that Joanne and I may have many more years to interact with our children and grandchildren. We are more open and intentional about our walk of faith with these little ones than we were years ago with our own children. Our years of parenting experience have taught us to slow down, focus on family, and not be so consumed by our work commitments. Now we talk with our grandchildren about prayer. We talk about creation. We talk about Moses, Goliath, and Jesus in the Bible stories. And we do so with a more natural rhythm than we ever did before. That rhythm is something I learned from Joanne's father, Heit van Dyck, and how I hope we will be remembered by our family. It is true that each of us must come to God on our own. Perhaps you worry about your children and grandchildren. Remember that God never lets his chosen children wander without leaving the 99 in the search of one. So let's be there for one another and our children as a Christian community. May the Lord equip each of us in this congregation to be the shepherd's staff of God, to pull questioning, wandering ones back to the arms of Jesus. Who knows? Your faithful interactions with others may be God-directed. Thank you. Thanks, Jules. I invite you to bow your heads with me as we pray.
Our gracious Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, giving us your word. Teach us, Lord, to uh, seek you in refuge in all times and in all places in our lives. Lord, we ask that you surround us with your power and your might. Lord, that, that we would not be put to shame. Lord, we pray that you would send us your Holy Spirit to empower us and equip us to be uh, people who tell of your faithfulness, of your love and grace in our world. Lord, help us be signposts of your goodness. We pray also, Lord, that we would accept your evaluation of our lives. We know that this is hard, and we need your help. Lord, help us to see that you love us not because of anything that we can do or be, but because we are your children. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.